Hello everyone and welcome back to the Artistic Futures podcast. My name is Mary and in this series I will be meeting some extraordinary people who work in music and opera and who are keen to share their passion with the next generation. From performers to designers, directors to choreographers, you will get an insight into how a range of artists built on their careers turning what they enjoy doing and were good at into a profession. Again, it will be full of useful tips and advice for those of you who would be tempted to give it a go. So, let's get started. In this episode, I had the great pleasure to speak to Xavier Hetherington. Born in a family of musicians, his upbringing didn't put him off pursuing a career as an opera singer. Xavier started his singing training early, singing as a boy chorister in Salisbury Cathedral. After finishing school, he went to Cambridge, where he took on a choral scholarship at St. John's College and read classics. After completing his degree, he travelled to Russia, Spain, Italy and came back to the UK in 2018 to undertake a postgraduate degree at the Royal College of Music in London. Since then, he's been performing on concert and opera stages in the UK and across Europe. Thank you so much for coming to see me today. In between days of rehearsals. Tech Week. Tech Week. So it's very busy this week for you. Um, When is the show opening again? The 6th. 6th. Which is Friday week. I just wanted to start from the beginning, and I read um, that both your parents are singers. Where did you read that? Oh, uh, somewhere. <laughs> yes, and I was wondering what it was like growing up in a family of musicians. Well, my mum is not a singer oh, professionally. Okay. My dad is. Yeah. My mum does sing. She's got a lovely voice, but um, yeah. she's, you know, she does lots of things and is a very musical person. But she mm-hmm. was never a okay. paid yeah. singer. My dad, on the other hand, is very much pretty much everyone that I come up to, at least when I was at the RCM. And definitely in this production we're doing at the moment, the first thing they say to me is, how's your dad? That's the (laughs) first thing they say, because they all worked with him in the 80s or whatever. So, yeah. Uh, What was it like growing up? Uh, Well, I've got two brothers and two sisters. They all sing in some form. They're not all paid to sing, but actually, you know, we're all... They either studied music or they were choral scholars at their respective um, colleges and things like that. They definitely all sang in choirs. We were all cathedral choristers as children. Yeah. So they're just loud people. I'm the quiet one. Are you? Well, I think I'm. <laughs> they probably say that each of us would probably say yeah. we were the quiet one because none of yeah. us quite feels around the dinner table that we get to say what we'd like to say. Yeah. How did you develop an interest in opera or, or do you have a memory of the first opera you saw? Mm, well, I think I can just about remember the first opera we saw. I was in Budapest and it was La Traviata and mm. it was in Italian with Hungarian subtitles. So yeah. it's completely incomprehensible and I was about 11 years old or something. So, But I used to see my dad performing in the choir in Salisbury Cathedral yeah. uh, and sometimes as a soloist. Mm-hmm. That was a, an example of just seeing someone that I, you know, obviously it's my dad, doing a solo performance in an operatic style because yeah. um, as a singer, he made relatively few concessions to the choral style. He sort of stuck. <laughs> 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 having, been a, having been an opera singer, 
he then went into sort of cathedral choir but kept singing in a rather operatic way which I sort of admired yeah so those are my early experiences of opera did you ask how I got into it you can answer that question as well mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got into it yeah just by being around it a lot mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's the isn't this awful but it's not necessarily the repertoire that attracted me as much yeah. as the technique I see yeah Franco Corelli talked about uh, um, he used to get, get together with his friends and in a very untutored way they'd just try and sing really high loud notes yeah and to a greater or lesser extent you know I grew up singing the choral repertoire Anglican choral repertoire mm-hmm. um, and then you know opera did feature and I've always admired in opera that it's not an intellectual pursuit in the way that jazz is say yeah jazz I, often seems to me to be about thinking It's funny because I think some people would say that opera is quite yeah, intellectual sort of elite and elitist. So, yeah. so that's an interesting but thing. But it's not. For it's you, all about it? the loins. Yeah. It's all, <laughs> yeah. Opera, it's all about what you feel. Yeah. What I think opera does is it externalizes the internal. Yeah. Because actually inside, we're all very operatic. I just believe we have big emotions and strong emotions. Some nations and peoples are better at hiding or, or in turn expressing them. Mm-hmm. And there's various... I'm reminded of Freud saying that he couldn't psychoanalyze the Irish because they went to confession, things like that. So some, some people have better traditions of getting out the stuff they have inside. But I think opera is one of the best ways yeah. of just giving voice to the very strong emotions we have. And that's, mm-hmm. what, that's part of what attracts me. But as mm-hmm. I say, it's, it's largely about like, uh, the technique that got me interested. Yeah. Suddenly realizing that uh, I could have an excuse to be loud. Sounds great. <laughs> Interestingly, you, you didn't choose to you study music at first when you left school. You went on to study classics, Yeah, I think. that's right. I was wondering what prompted you to make that choice. And I, when you went to Cambridge, you were also doing a lot of singing. So um, yeah. it's a very musical place to be as well. Of course. So. And I was in the choir at St. John's. Yeah. And that's Evensong every day. Yeah. And Eucharist as well on a Sunday. Yeah. Evensong every day but Monday. So, it, so Tuesday to Sunday, we're singing. So it was obviously the center of my life. Was classic a bit on the side compared to the singing? Or is it something that you feel has brought things to you that you are able to use in your career as a singer? Mm. Today? Well, I definitely use it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, is classics one of my great passions? Yeah. I really wanted to do English. Okay. And yeah. I was always into poetry. And, you know, opera was really the, the fallback career. And really what I wanted to be was a poet. But you've mm-hmm. got, to, got to play on the safe side. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah you know I think my mum thought that the best way to get into Cambridge would be to do a subject which fewer people do she's a Latin teacher partly oh I see Uh, she's from a family of classicists my dad's dad was a classicist Mm -hmm. so like that's the other part of my family tradition I suppose so uh, yeah I applied and then I went and did an audition um, at St John's obviously and, uh, and, and sort of got in Uh, and I do love classics, and I love it uh, not least because it makes me care very little about making mistakes when I speak modern Romance languages, mm. and I can sort of get by. Yeah, and languages is so important for an opera singer as well because you... it's not just it's not just because you're singing in other languages. No. It's because you're dealing with people who are you know I've lived in Spain and I've lived in yeah. Italy and I've lived in Russia, yeah, yeah. and in all those places. I was just that little bit less scared about speaking to people. Mm. I also grew up camping, yeah. which is a very European thing to do. My parents had a camper van, mm-hmm. so we'd always be in like Spain or France, yeah. occasionally Greece, occasionally Italy. 
and uh, obviously left left on my own devices, and I'd go and um, uh, flirt with people and just speak foreign languages, and that combined with a knowledge really of their mother language, which is Latin, mm-hmm. made me just less scared, you know. Yeah. And so that's a real big value that classics brought to me. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the big cultural knowledge, you know, and all the obscure Handel operas based on yeah. figures either from myth or from classical history. Yeah. They're not as foreign to me as, might, as they might be to other people. Well, you, you mentioned Russia. Yeah. And you went on to study in Russia for a bit. Um, well... Yeah. What what was that like? Did did you know a lot about the Russian culture? Um, how different was it to what you had experienced here? Well, uh, I didn't study per se. What what happened was um, I finished an extra year as a lay clerk at St John's. Mm-hmm. The done thing, right? This is the weird thing. The done thing for choral scholars at St John's afterwards um, is to go and do music college. Lots of um, really, okay. you know, successful singers have been at John's and then they just go mm-hmm. and they go to the RAM or the RCM or Guildhall or whatever. Yeah. One of the London colleges. And that's just the done thing. And I didn't really think much about it. I just thought, okay, I'll do that. I think I'm okay at singing. I'd done a couple of operas at Cambridge. Did yeah. uh, Eugene on Yagen, we did, and that was good fun. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, right, well, in order to go to college, I'm going to need some money because I don't know if the government's going to give me any money. I've already got a massive student debt. Yeah. So I was like, okay, got to earn some money. My brother had been working in Russia as well as a tutor. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, that sounds like a good thing to do. It's well paid. So I went and, and did that. But on pretty much day two, I stormed into the Tchaikovsky Conservatory and I said, Ya хочу петь кому-то. Something like that. I want to sing to somebody. Okay. And actually, uh, they were very accommodating, very polite. And, uh, and I went in and I followed... Um, this person down some corridors and then ended up singing to maybe the head of vocal studies there sang Lenski's yeah. aria Tchaikovsky's statue was just out the, w- out the window which was very cool mm-hmm. I didn't sing very well obviously um, but I did manage to find a few teachers in Russia and more importantly I sang in this um, cafe what was called an anti-cafe which is a place where you pay for the amount of time you spend in it oh wow It was called the clock face, Tsiferblat, yeah. on Ulitsa Pakrovka. I remember it quite clearly. And my friends and I used to go and just sing arias. And it was a really nice group of poets, eccentric people, poets, yeah. artists, who just gather and exchange, read poems or, or sing songs mm-hmm. and arias. It was very lovely, actually. That sounds great. Yeah. I imagine it's been quite devastating to witness what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. As a consequence, there's a bit of stigmatization of Russian culture. How have you experienced all of that? And maybe do you think that arts and culture might have a role to play in appeasing this, these conflicts? Well, I'd speak to Ukrainian. I, you know, I have a few Ukrainian friends and lots of Ukrainian singers around. Yeah. Um, when I'm in Florence, you know, which is where I spend some of my time, my girlfriend lives there and, mm-hmm. and I studied there in a studio. Mm-hmm. So I meet some of my girlfriend's Ukrainian colleagues. She's also a singer. Mm-hmm. And I was speaking to one of them about three days ago about this exact subject. Yeah. And she was saying to me that the Ukrainian artist, the Ukrainian singer can easily understand that um, Tchaikovsky has nothing to do with the imperial ambitions of, of Vladimir Putin. Okay, yeah, yeah. But nevertheless, given that Tchaikovsky can be co-opted by a regime as a projection of Russian imperial power, for the moment, thank you very much, we'd yeah. rather not sing Tchaikovsky or Akhmaninov or the Russian greats. We'd rather not talk about Pushkin. And I completely get that. Yeah. So I think... 
time for me to learn Ukrainian, basically. What I think is important is just to listen to what Ukrainians have to say about it. And so I just, I just listen to what they have to say. They're the people who are suffering. They're the people who, are, who have to leave their homes and are refugees. Yeah. You assume that people come from places that are as stable as the yeah. place you come from. Of course, they're not. They're refugees, some of them. And you have to listen, therefore. So I, I try not to have any opinion on it beyond what I think they are saying. Yeah. But that also means listening to, to Russian artists as well. But yeah. it, the Russian artists I've met tend to agree with the Ukrainian opinion. Because I, oh, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're yeah, not dogmatic I mean. or jingoistic people. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, on a lighter note. Um, <laughs> there you the, go. That's my uh, geopolitical tuppence. Yes. Uh, it's interesting to speak about these things. It's yeah, important. Of yeah, Oprah is not outside the world, is it? It's part of society. So Yeah, and culture yeah, is, you know, culture. is one of the great weapons of war. Yeah, for sure. In the last couple of years, you've been singing at Opera North yes. uh, in some of the most innovative productions. <laughs> um, I think the first one was Orpheus. Yep. Uh, so Orpheus, for people who haven't heard of it, combined the music of Monteverdi yep. with uh, in Indian classical music. Uh, and there were a mix of Western classical and South Asian performers yep. on stage. Yes. I was wondering what that was like for you to be involved in such a production and what you learned or got out of it oh my god it was incredible just incredible the, the, to be honest the thing that sticks out to me and this is not um, me attempting to sound very kind of um, worthy but it was actually the people that we met because you have it was an exercise in humility on both sides because you have incredible these uh, South Asian musicians vocalists tabla players the Israj you know um, uh, just the most amazing musicians with this incredible training for decades and decades in their tradition. And then they come to sing Monteverdi, reading notated music, and they suddenly had to become amateurs again. In turn, you should see the Western singers trying to ta tackle some of the rags yeah. and uh, the complexities of South Asian music. So we, each of us, we became novices again, and that was wonderful. And both um, sides of that project, I feel, were incredibly gracious mm -hmm. about introducing each other to what they did and uh, it was just absolutely fascinating the, the, the kindest people and the most amazing musicians and the music that they played was so beautiful oh it was kind of blew my yeah. mind could not have asked for a better project to start at opera north with that's great and this season you will be performing in mask of might Yep. That's a new opera, yep. uh, which uses music by Henry Purcell. Mm -hmm. um, and for what I read of it, it creates a tale of power and corruption. So I haven't seen the show yet, but I've heard it's very funny and that it has eccentric costumes. Uh, yes. Um, so yeah, can you tell us a bit more about the show and the roles you are playing in this production? Well, the eyeliner I'm wearing as we speak is not <laughs> eyeliner that I would wear normally. And uh, it's a vestige from our run in costume yesterday. Um, just want to make that clear, even though there are no cameras. <laughs> uh, I'm playing, my characters are called Scrofulous, Toady, Seer, and Saul. Four characters. Four characters. That's, that's a lot. These are all like bits of Purcell, operas and stuff, taken, little excerpts from operas, taken, stitched together by Sir David Pantley during 
lockdown. It's basically his lockdown project. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he clearly loves Purcell. He's brought all these things together into a mask, which is a kind of not opera, really. It's a sort of variety entertainment. The storyline is of secondary importance. The spectacle is of primary importance. Everyone having a good time is of primary importance. Yeah. With that having been said, uh, there is a story, and it's about a dictator who doesn't care about the planet, and he's trashing the planet. Some people come and try and beseech him. He keeps chopping down trees and stuff. He's a sort of Trump... Come Putin, come Bolsonaro kind of figure. Okay. <laughs> we're not shying away from politics, are we? No, we are not. <laughs> um, and the costumes yeah. are quite incredible. I get yeah. to wear... I get very, very uh, made up. I get a lot of makeup, which is always good fun. It's incredible seeing Katie, who's um, the woman who's doing my makeup. She's just so skillful. And it's weird having your face be... How long does it take canon. you to get all the makeup on? Well, it depends. There's about three or four different looks. Yeah. So each one takes about 20 minutes, I think. Wow. But also, you know, the makeup team and all the dresses and everyone, they, it's really, the show is kind of about them and also about the dancers because yeah. there's so many different costumes yeah. and often such a short time to do the changeover that uh, yeah, it's it, kind it, of incredible. It takes a team too. It really yeah, does. yeah. yeah. Which, which, by the way, is one of the things I like best about opera, is yeah. the fact of how collaborative it is. Mm -hmm. um, I just think it's incredible. It's like an army of people, each very expert at their own thing, yeah. and then they all get together, and they produce this... The man yeah. hours that go into each opera are quite incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting. And, and that opera is part of our green season at Opera North. Oh, yeah. So this is the first time we've got a full season of three shows... Um, that have been produced in a sustainable way. Mm. Uh, so that means we've we've been showing scenic elements between the operas yep. and all the sets and props and costume are we use from past production yep. or purchased second hand. Yeah, there's probably not a typical day as an opera singer, but if there was a typical day, uh, could you maybe tell us what? It might look like. You know, the hardest thing is that it's so hard to find a typical day. Yeah. I find it so difficult in my life yeah. to do anything that involves routine. Okay. I mean, my struggle with regular exercise is just... Mm -mm. It's really... And do you live... It's interesting, though, because as, as a opera singer, you need to have a really like strict practice, don't you? Like, well, okay. You... I practice every day. Yeah. And for me, that doesn't require discipline. Okay. Because I, I love it. And as I told, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, like the technique is what interests me. Yeah. So it's like I get into, it's a bit like a workshop for me. I get into the practice room. So it's my happy place. I can mm -hmm. just tinker around and make strange noises and uh, <laughs> yeah. crawl around and do weird things. And that for me is fun and it's experimental. Mm -hmm. And it's what I guess they call. But I suppose that's part of your routine then. That's true. Sorry. That, I'm, no, I'm that's a really good point. And yeah. um, when I can do that. But for example, this week, what are mm -hmm. we now? We're. We're Wednesday, Wednesday today. Yeah. I haven't done. I haven't practiced the past two days because we've mm -hmm. had uh, we've had rehearsals basically all day. Yeah. Until ten at night. I mean, in the morning, yeah, I could have gotten up earlier, but I would have been knackered for the rehearsal. Yeah. The other thing is integrating rest. Yeah. I'd say that's part of. If you talk about a typical day, for a singer, given that what you do is relatively high energy, mm -hmm. you have to chill out. You have to find a way to do it. I play video games. Great. That's what I do because they make me switch off. It's a very sociable job. Mm -hmm. And funnily enough, if you think about opera singers, we assume they're extroverted, and I'm not so sure. Because the job involves extroversion. It involves 
monitoring constantly whether what you've said to someone is going to piss them off, <laughs> is going to make them <laughs> laugh. Just judging how you're coming across. Yeah. And as a performer as well, yeah. Yes, well, yeah. The, but the performing relationship is so much easier. Uh, do you think, yeah. Of course it is, because I get up on stage, you know that as the audience you're here to listen to me and I know that I'm here to entertain you. Yeah, yeah. We both know For what sure. it's like. But a conversation... Mm-hmm. What the hell is that? <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> I don't know. That's what we are doing here. But it's a free for all, <laughs> yes. isn't it? Yeah. It and is. so you yeah. ha- that for me at least. Maybe I'm just showing that I'm socially inept, but uh, that re- re- takes a lot of energy to mm-hmm. sort of judge how I'm coming across yeah, yeah. and um, try and be charming. Try- I suppose yeah, as you said, like working in opera is a massive teamwork, isn't it? And for for a team to work, you need all the people in it. To yeah. Work kind of get on and, and work together so it takes a lot of energy for sure I also think the magic of music is that it's empathetic yeah uh, it's, so, it's so much to do with how people are feeling mm. that it doesn't require language which yeah. is largely why the Orpheus Project worked the Orpheus Project was a testament to the power of music to transcend you know two incredibly different musical styles two incredibly different cultural stories the kinds of people who get into opera and who do opera are empathetic in the first place, in my opinion. I want to speak to you a little bit about um, the family show you did with us last year. So oh, yeah. you, you, you sang in our Mini Vixen, which yes. was an adaptation of Janáček's The Cunning Little Vixen. And we went on tour all across the north of yeah. England. Um, and I think there were oh, thousands of children and families you yep. performed to. Actually. 40, 43 shows we did. Yeah, that was huge. Um, I was wondering if that was your first experience of working in the education side and if you learned anything doing that show or what, what you got out of it. Well, I was a school teacher once upon a time. Oh. I taught Latin once upon a time. So I've done work in education before. Yeah. Have I ever done like singing to kids before? Yeah, I can't think, I can't think of a particular example. Definitely with Opera North, my first time with the education department, who are the loveliest people in the world. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was great. You, um, some Roman emperor described the relationship of the emperor to the army as holding a wolf by the ears. And um, that's sort of how I feel about performing to children, mm. which is that if you lose concentration and if you stop uh, holding their attention because you, uh, I don't know, you're not focusing, they'll tell you. Uh, uh, they'll yeah. start to walk around. In general, after about half an hour, that happens anyway. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, but it's just an interesting exercise in 
what is it that holds an audience's atten- attention? Because mm-hmm. kids aren't socialised, at least not in that area. How old were the kids we were performing to? They're like uh, two, from from three, three to eight, maybe. Like yeah. So the level on which they're engaging with it is fairly unfiltered, let's say. Mm-hmm. And so you you know it puts you in touch with the subverbal kind of slightly mysterious elements of what holds an audience's attention. That was interesting. Yeah. Uh, it was also just very cute. They're very cute. Oh, yeah. Do you think it's important to is- introduce young children to classical music? Without question. Yeah. 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 And kids get it too for precisely the reasons that, uh, you know, when we were speaking about the fact that it's not intellectual. Mm-hmm. Kids get it. We, were, we, take, we took Janacek to them. Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult music, isn't it? It was yeah. difficult yeah. to learn. It was difficult to p- put it all together. It's not the most accessible, easy music. And they got it. Because kids have innate ability to process stories, innate musical sense. They have innate feeling towards characters. So there was a character called Grumpy Old Joe, who's like a farmer. They were scared of him and they were angry at him instantly just because of his facial expressions. And also the quality of the music. You know, it was dong, ga-dong, gong, da-da, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And that was his scary farmer music. They got it. In the same way that they get like Disney music, If you watch an advert on TV which has got something funny happening, you'll always notice there's bassoon and there's pizzicato strings. And that's that's a language which has come from opera, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe symphonic music as well. But all around us, we understand even textural, orchestral textural things. And I think even kids get them. If you had any advice to give to your teenage self... Go and, go and actually go to operas. I still don't go to enough operas. Mm-hmm. Because we're, we're, we are mimetic creatures. We copy. I actually think that about singing training is quite a controversial opinion because mm-hmm. people say don't copy because yes. you can learn bad habits. Yes and no. There's a lot of value in, in imitation, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say go to a lot of operas. See what it's all about. If you, if you want to do that for a job, see what the industry is like. So what advice do I give to my teenage self? Doors must close for doors to open. That's a good one. You have to not do stuff in order to do stuff. That you can't do everything. Yeah, you have to make choices. I even read a yeah. description of Peter Pan. Pan in Greek means everything. Mm. And the reason that Pan never grows up is that he tries to keep all avenues open to him. And that becoming a man, or an adult, is about closing some avenues. I've heard a description of success which says, successful people are those who stay on the same bus. Mm. So it's tempting to chop and change. But the less you chop and change, the more you go through time and other people are chopping, changing, falling away. I mean, I, I consider myself to be at the beginning of my career, so come back to me in 10 years and maybe I'll say, I should have chopped and changed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is great. And um, for, for maybe young people who are a bit more advanced, already at music college, you know, at that, at that point where you go from finishing your study to working as a professional, is there anything to know or any advice you might give people? You've got to put, try. You have to put stuff out there. The jury's out on whether or not you need to sort your technique out totally before you do that, because I absolutely don't think that my technique is completely sorted. But I'm working, and I you know, get a decent amount of work. They say it's easier for tenors. Meh. You must try. You must put yourself out there mm-hmm. uh, and be willing to be judged. That links to my next question, which, which is about auditions. Um, yeah. How do you prepare for audition and how do you cope with the rejection? And You and steal yourself. It's like a long chain of mortification. 
<laughs> oh dear. It's like, yeah, that's what it is. I hate them. You go along, you prepare yourself mentally and uh, musically and vocally as best you can, and then you sound like a goat in uh, the last days of its life, and you accept that. Yeah. That's not always the case. Sometimes, sometimes the genius of singing will fly by, and you'll um, give an inexplicably good performance, and they'll think, okay, and then you get some work from that, and that keeps your hope alive a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, it's just like, you just got to be ready. I actually think as well, you have to do enough auditions that they cease, that each individual audition ceases mm-hmm. to matter. Yeah. And that's really hard. So every time you go in, you give your best, they say, grazie, and then you leave, having yeah. spent however much getting the flight there, yeah. <laughs> getting the accommodation. And you just got to pick yourself up, I think. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'd say is do stuff you enjoy, like sing the stuff that you like to sing, because yeah. that's palpable. Panels want to enjoy with you. Yeah. And if, you know. Yeah, that's very good advice, that. Thank you. What's the most difficult thing about being an opera singer and what's the best thing about it? Mm. Time away from time away from the ones you love. Meh. Yeah. I work very hard to earn money to rent a flat that I never see. Yeah. Don't even know where the light switches are. <laughs> so why do I do that? And I don't get to see, I love my colleagues in one sense, but I don't love them in the way that I love my girlfriend or my parents or my, my siblings. Yeah. So what's that all about? Um, why do we do that? You have to have an attitude towards service. You have to believe that what you're doing is like, um, is of service to people, that, are, that in some way you're making the world better for them. Maybe that's grandiose, but actually it can be the case. You can get people completely. Oh, I'm sure it can be the case. Yeah. 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 They come, they're having a shit time. And then they see an opera and they feel that their internal life has been explained to them in some way. So that's the hardest part, being away from the ones you love, mm-hmm. I do think. Yeah. And also being away from familiarity. I'm a guest everywhere I go. I'm a guest all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard. The best bit is, is exactly the same as the worst bit. It's just the other side of the coin, a.k.a. the novelty. Yeah. How many people can say that they get to work with new music, meet new people, see new countries, speak new languages all the time. That's just, what a privilege. That's amazing. So the novelty is simultaneously the best and the worst bit. You've been listening to the Artistic Futures podcast with tenor Xavier Hetherington. If you have any burning question for future guests or would like to suggest people you would like to meet, please email education at opranorth.co.uk. You can also find us on Twitter or X, search Opranorth Education. See you next time.